0: There are about a billion people in Africa and half are expected to be under 25 years old by 2050. It's considered the world's largest free trade area and creating a new development path. Each person on this panel is doing that, harnessing their talent and the resources the continents have to offer. Africans are spending more, we're consuming more and fashion is booming. So I think, The structure of this is completely different because I have to talk to four people at the same time. So it's usually a chat, but this might be an outright barb (laughs) roll. So I often start each show with a great introduction. Um, Normally I'm behind my computer screen and I am in a room by myself with nothing else to distract me. Um, And this is the first time I'm doing this in front of people so i'll pretend you're all not here possibly naked if you are so that my nerves are calm but this episode is going to also be streaming on vodacom africa's platform into 14 countries on my muse which is something for season three that no one knows yet so we've gone from 20,000 listeners to god knows what so thank you to everyone across africa who's listening in on this show I'll introduce each guest because each guest usually gets an intro and like a drum roll, please. Um, but I'll start with the guest closest to my left. Our first guest is a lawyer turned fashion designer, influencer, and the first person to take Ankara and make it fashion for our generation. She's the founder and creative director of Jewel by Lisa. Can we have Lisa Falabi on the stage? <laughs> Thank you. Our next guest is a fashion influencer, stylist, media strategist, model, consultant, turn presenter, actor, author, and most popularly known for his influencing and content creation with almost 600,000 followers on social media across 30 countries. We have Dinola Adepetun, also known as Dinola Grey. We have next Unkwa and I've done this the other way around because she's a psychology major who grew up in Oxford and founded an American founded an African brand in the UK and then moved to Nigeria and launched five years later. Unkwa Onuka. And our last guest, um, who's also an alumni of the show. She's the OG stylist, entrepreneur, intrapreneur, PR chameleon, marketing and communication specialist, and an influencer of influencers. She's known to be putting people on. So in case you wanna get on, grab her after the show. And she's worked in every part of the industry. And she's now the brand director of Feel Unique. Arietta Mujay. Wonderful. When I was putting the show together, um, there were a few things that came to mind as the initial concept and thought. The first was it usually fashion weeks happen and African brands don't often get a look in for the few brands that do. It is an absolute strive for recognition. And I'm sure for those on the panel who've done fashion weeks, it'll be great to get some of their insights. But also, I think one of the main things that drove me with this episode was that each guest on the panel today has something unique to offer, and my hope is that it goes in the mission to helping inspire somebody else who is looking at this industry that doesn't see enough faces that look like them, or know the opportunity to rise from the ashes, but a hope that we continue to invest in our industries that can create jobs and change lives on the continent. Their accolades, brand partnerships and press features are a lot. Ah, I was Googling and Googling and I thought, wow. Um, For each one here, I hoped and I would have loved to give each panelist a show of their own Um, But given the nature of, I guess, the ecosystem that currently exists for African fashion designers, I thought, why don't we galvanize all the forces and create a show that is memorable and fitting of what I think the industry can bring to the continent. There are about a billion people in Africa, and half are expected to be under 25 years old by 2050. It's considered the world's largest free trade area. And creating a new development path, each person on this panel is doing that, harnessing their talent and the resources the continents have to offer. Africans are spending more. We're consuming more. And fashion is booming. So I think the structure of this is completely different, because I have to talk to four people at the same time. So it's usually a chat. But this might be an outright barb so I guess with Lisa being, I guess, the one who got the conversation going for all of us, I remember coming across um, an interview in sort of the early days, the mid, mid-2000s, and the first thing that came to mind, seeing one of your pieces, um, and the fact that all of a sudden Ankara, which usually village people, would have been wearing those days. We were all aspiring to sort of Western fashion. And you were the first, really, if we're all being honest, that created a brand out of something that even as Africans we took for granted and made it premium and made it something desirable. From Vogue Italia to everywhere. There's nowhere you have not been. But I guess the question from me to you is, at the time in 2005, it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur, especially as a woman in the fashion industry. You were or a seamstress. Can you paint a picture of, I guess, the infancy of that time, especially now knowing what you know about the industry today, Can you paint a picture of what that was like for you?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, hello everyone, good evening. Uh, Thank you Zizi for having me, so happy to be here. Um, For me, um, like you had said earlier, I was, am a lawyer. And at that point in time, I had just stopped practicing as a lawyer. And um, I always knew that I wanted to do something with fashion. I didn't know what. Um, And, um, you know, I just decided that, you know what? There was something I thought there was something missing. I thought there was a gap in the industry. I thought, why can I not find what I want to wear? What appeals to me um, as someone who loves fashion? And um, I decided, uh, though not formally trained, um, to take a leap of faith, I guess. And I think at that point in time, I was quite naive and And, you know, you're naive, and then there comes some sort of courage and boldness when you don't know what is before you. (laughs) Ignorance. And so so with that, you know, I, I decided to fill that gap that I felt there was in our industry. And like you said, our industry was, I don't even know if I can call it... I don't, I don't don't know if it was a a fashion industry as it is today. I think it was a thing.
2: It was was a thing. Something was happening. It was a thing.
0: Yeah. 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 I I remember in in the 2000s, Arietta, you saying, I'm going to Line I'm going to Lagos. This African fashion, we're going to galvanize it.
2: First of all, let me take it back. Okay. So Lisa, back in the day, you Mm -hmm. used to live not too far from me. And Mm -hmm. I can very well remember that cover of True Love magazine when, oh you know, God. the brand was, you know, Jewel by Lisa. She said the brand is called Lisa Falawayo Studios yes. yes. But yes. then it was Jewel by, by Lisa. Lisa yeah. yeah. And I remember very well seeing you on the cover and I was thinking, ah, isn't this Shakir's sister? She lives around the corner. <laughs> so my whole thing was like, if she's doing the stuff in Lagos, we are going. Yeah. But the problem was the time is, you know, I'm not a fashion designer. And like we're saying, there was no industry. So we literally all kind of just went there to see what we we can make of it really yeah Yeah.
0: and i and i think what was most exciting and i'll come to you unko because i think we're a a decade a a decade behind at the moment
2: no she was there
0: no 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 i know she was there but in terms of launching and the brand evolving to what we know now on 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 a main stage i think the first the first African designer that I know that put something on a celebrity was you, Lisa, and I mean a major global celebrity. Um, we hadn't seen it before; it was not possible. We knew the aunties, the socialites that wore the outfits, and you got in this day and you know the social pages, but we had actually never seen out of Africa someone famous. Wearing an African designer's piece, you know.
1: Can I can I mention that apart yes. from me designing and other designers and other designers coming up, there were also the magazines you talked yeah. about true love. Yeah. So, something, yeah. so something yeah, and so something was happening.
3: happening. Genevieve yeah. as well.
1: And as Genevieve well, as well. And so it was it was it worked for everyone. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. It was, you know, someone, yeah. We started yeah. to design, we started to get really interested in this thing, we wanted to do it, and yeah. everything just sort of fell into place. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: I, I think for, for anyone who gets introduced to the African fashion style landscape through something as big mm-hmm. as like Black is King, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would say that would be the most monumental shift for the global world outside of the continent, mm-hmm. um, but I think, the picture we're trying to paint now is there was something happening on the continent before that. Um, So a a little known thing is that um, the first ever African fashion international awards trophy was a project that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the bust of the woman that was the trophy was was my project. And I just moved to South Africa at the time. I was jobless, so I was taking anything that goes. Mm Um, And I got introduced to a team. um, And then it was the first ever, it was actually the first ever one that they were having where they had split from Arise. Um, And so while I might not necessarily be designing, I've always loved the industry and in some way contributed to it.
2: In a lot of ways, don't forget you interned at ZI. Let's go back there. (laughs) You interned at (laughs) ZEDI. She, that's why I met Zizi. I, I, I or, think. Like, <laughs> it's been a long time ago. Oh, yes. yes, in here. Excuse me,
0: this <laughs> is about you guys.
2: <laughs> She's been around a long time.
0: So, I, I think now moving forward and backwards, which often I don't do, but I think Unkwa is doing something that, again, you know, growing up, you would get a hand me down from a sibling, right? Then you cut the jeans, you fray the jeans. Like I think growing up, that was a norm for as a teenager. Because we didn't get Western fashion quick enough. And so you learned to customize your fashion in your closet quickly to suit the trends. Um, and Unkwa is designing for possibilities and is in a place where she is upcycling and throwing in some craftsmanship. I think. Each of us in this room probably at some point has upcycled and customized something, at least a pair of jeans. Um, Notably, your upcycling of jeans is incredibly famous. Um, Why did you decide tackling something like this was your direction? Um,
4: I think it's probably started when I was young because um, at home we always had we weren't allowed to watch TV only on Saturdays and so we had to find things to do so we would take like old cornflakes boxes and turn them into dolls houses um, my mother used to sew that's where I learned it from and then we used to use the scraps from her table um, to make dolls clothes as well so it's something that sort of was in my DNA but I didn't know I mean, it took a, a while for it to really sort of come out as a brand because um, at some point, you know, uh, some most creatives are not very confident in what they do at the beginning. And so I thought, well, oh, maybe nobody's going to like this. And I went off. I used to do Ankara as well at some point when I was in London, you yeah. know. But it wasn't my true, I didn't, re- it wasn't really what came from my soul. So when I moved back to Nigeria in 2015, I was like, I'm doing me and everyone will either come with me or not. And here I am. So,
0: <laughs> so Amazing. it worked out. Yeah. Um, Denola, my note says, and I quote, girls and men want to be you.
4: <laughs> Yikes!
0: <laughs> um, your, your ascension into the industry, has been non conventional um, and it's the new wave, right? Um, influencing, consulting with brands, orange culture, informing what is fashion. Um, and I guess this question also goes to everybody else on the panel, because uh, one of the big questions I asked and often wonder in sort of my work is is there African fashion? Does it exist? Do we have African style? Is there African fashion?
3: Um, you know what? Before I start, I want to say that's what you were saying before about um, something, a spark happening around uh, 05, 04, mm-hmm. and the magazines happening, and the Lisa Falabios and the Arietas and the that were all happening. Um, that start made what I'm doing now possible. And um I remember I was about fourteen, fifteen when this was happening, you know, when Genevieve magazine was, was becoming a thing, true love was I was seeing black people in high gloss, black Nigerian people in high gloss. Because I wasn't black until I left Nigeria.
0: This is yeah. true. I wasn't None I of us were.
3: no I wasn't black until I went to university in Texas. Um so I didn't really, I knew that I was just, you know, living a privileged life. I'm not going to sit up here and be like, I was in the trenches. I was not. My parents did really well for them, for us. And um, I was always aware of my appearance, but there was an element of taking my culture for granted at the same time. So being able to see that celebrated subconsciously um, would help me further down the line to be like, hold on. Why am I running to American apparel and urban outfits because I was a broke college student or going to all these places to like find what I call baths, clothes, Um, why, and I'm back in Nigeria at this point. I moved back in in 2013, I spent, so I'll just give you a brief history. I did one to 18 in Nige, you know, did um, boarding school, day school, all of that. Didn't really have a sense of style or I wasn't allowed to have a sense of style. I was told what to wear. And I was also told how to behave because I was quite effeminate. So I couldn't, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable in my skin. So I couldn't really like dress the way I wanted to dress. Um, So I went to university in Texas. I'm in a Baptist university in Central Texas. You would think that it was going to be like more of the same. But for some reason, by the time I turned 19, I just was like, yeah, like anybody, I'm going to dress however I want to dress. Anybody at that mother can actually get these hands. And I'm like, I started dressing up. And I graduated in 2012, um, moved to New York for 10 months, worked in fashion PR, saw a bit of the industry, ran away. Um, I moved back to Nigeria in 2013. Now, while I was there, that's when I started seeing some of the structures that three of the women on this panel were responsible for. Um, Lagos Fashion Week in 2013 was my first big outing when I moved back. I remember that I wore my graduation suits that I wore to, to which was electric blue with a burnt orange shirt and a TM Louis both tie that my uncle Charlotte gave me. Incredible. And I was fit, and like this pair of Hugo Boss velvet shoes that I still have to so, today. So and I was like, I'm in Nigeria and these bitches will deal you have, arrived. <laughs> have arrived. you have a right. You have a right. You have a right. And from then on, I just noticed that I started. um going into more print because it made me feel more alive. And I'm a feelings person. I dress how I feel. And I actually have really bad social anxiety. That's why I'm not looking that way. I'm looking here. Um,
0: they're all naked.
3: They're, all na- they're They're even worse. I'm like, oh my God, no really. Don't say that. <laughs> no, but. Um, and I remember just being like, you know, I, I kind of want to see how far I can go. And people at the time, I was doing my NYSC, which if you don't know, is the National Youth Service Corps. Um, if you want to be eligible to work at 95 in Nigeria, God forbid, um, you, <laughs> you would have to do it for one year. And, you know, but I did it in a way where I was actually doing it. I was part of the medical group and stuff like that. But then I was working at um, Alara, which is the first luxury multi-concept store in Nigeria, but before they moved to their building. Um, and through my time there, I started noticing, I noticed a branch uh, Um, she's, uh, I think Haitian, um, Haitian, Haitian, and Italian. Yeah. Um, but she was using Ankara. And I was like, I mean, no shade, but I know damn well that's all this, like last season on Lisa's runway. Like what's up? Wait, well, it wasn't, not, not, the exact same thing, but like, I'm saying I'm saying I saw, I saw, I saw no, I saw Ankara. I saw Ankara. And it was like elevated and I'm like, hold on. So that means I need to start paying attention to what's actually happening here. And then at the same time, the men were now beginning to start you know, producing things that I was like, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm finding my own um, appreciation for the fashion and the style. And then I start consuming it. And then at the same time, my friend, Bayer bio- okay, O'Kilawa, Oren Culture, Elevates, and then I'm like, you know what? Now we have something that, and and this to ask you a question directly, is what I now call because I have to be aware of it, a post-colonial Nigerian and Pan-African fashion. Mm -hmm. So there is African style, but it is heavily influenced by the fact that we were colonized. Mm
4: Unko, is oh, is there African fashion?
0: Because I, I read an article that said um, yeah. there is, or there are African designers, but there is no African fashion.
4: I, you know what? I think there is, actually. There ha- there I-, I mean, there are African designers who design what you would probably call Western, but there are also African designers who design Africa because we're telling the stories through mm. our clothes. So we're using the artisans, we're using the fabrics, we're using the shapes, the colors, you know? So yes. I think that there really is, there is African fashion. Amazing. Or there are African, yeah, yeah, there are African designers, yeah. Uh,
1: can I, can I say, please. I, I think you're right. I think I, I will say that there is um, fashion that comes out of Africa yeah. um, as opposed to putting a tag on it. I think yeah. that's maybe where I would hesitate. Yeah. Um, So when people say, oh, there's, what is African fashion? Um, Sometimes I don't even know how to um, define that, you know, but I think that there is fashion that comes out of Africa by African designers. And I think that each designer in their own way tells their own story. And, you know, I feel like, you know, we want to... Um, talk about the African story, the African narrative, but then what is that to me and what is that to you? And so there'll be different and various interpretations of that and I think that everything is African in a sense because it is coming from me, it's coming from Unkwa, and this is who we are, this is what we know. So if we choose to work with African textiles or what we deem as African textiles, the indigenous fabrics, or we choose to work with um, what is Western? Perhaps silk, or just a regular
0: cotton, or whatever, or even denim. You know. Um, but does the material determine? The oh yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, you know. It does.
1: Well, well, well. It's a, it's a big chunk of it. It's a big chunk of it. Um, and so, but what I was saying was that perhaps we don't limit what a designer does yes. by the fabric they work with yeah. and yeah. only define what they do by that fabric. And I find that it makes people maybe outside of Africa more comfortable yes. by saying, oh, they work with Adiré, yes. they work with Ashoke, akwete, and all these things and sort of you keep on keeping us, putting us in a box and it's like a safe box, you know? There they are doing their thing and it's great, but they're doing their thing, you know? And I think that fashion is beyond that. I think it's beyond all of that. I think for me, it's something that comes from within. And so however I choose to express, express that, yeah then that's what it is, you know? I hope that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think if you asked me this question, like in 2002, three when I was a Twitter warrior and I really had a <laughs> voice, I would tell you, no, there is no such thing. But I think over the years and I traveled extensively across the continent and what I've seen exactly made me change that. So I would never refer to any, both of you here on the stage as African designers, it's your American aesthetic designers. and mm-hmm. your artisans, the craftsmanship you use, come from the continent, but I would not define what you're necessarily doing as African because we are the only continent whereby it? we are labeled. No problem. You can take the good and the bad, but I don't go, walk down the street and think, oh, look at that lovely YSL d- bag. That's an African designer because it's from Algeria. No, I mean, you don't know, from... I think it was easy for us to be pigeonholed as that. Now, when a designer, when in 2005, six when I was a Twitter warrior, there was a big British heritage brand that went to Nigeria and they visited someone's studio here. And they It's in my notes. It's in your notes. Ah they stole it. And they literally took oh, a fabric child. that this person had stole it. And made a whole collection. Would you refer to that brand as an African brand because mm-hmm. they use Ankara? That was the turning point for me. Your aesthetic determines, uh, for me personally, your aesthetic, where you make your, uh, how you produce and everything determines the kind of designer you are. I don't think we should be pigeonholed into saying this is an African brand. There's nothing wrong with it because there are African brands. Most of them are tailors, let's be honest, but they, you know, there are some brands that carry that and and are happy with it because they're rooted in it. But I just think that when we pigeonhole ourselves as that, that really kind of harms us in a way. And you're talking about somebody who owned a PR agency called African Creative Collective. I pigeonholed myself. I was only getting call-ins for African fashion stories, so weddings and everything else. So I think when we say that, we pigeonhole ourselves. Yeah, I agree. I I kind of have a different view in a way because I am
4: African. So if people call me an African designer, I claim it and I take it with pride. And and I I really don't... I don't see anything wrong in being put in a. What should I call it? Not in, in. Not. Not. Yeah. It's kind of put in, in a. a in a. Not in a box, but put in a. In a, in a Yeah. I'm. I am an African, and and for me, I think that like if you're doing really good work, like really good, yeah. then I'm proud that I'm doing this as an African designer. And yes, it's African fashion. To me, I that's the way I see but it. I, it's, it's not really a... No, no, no. I, no just, yeah. I,
2: I,
1: you're right. But I, I do think that we are African designers and mm-hmm. we are proud. I'm a Nigerian designer. And I'm very proud of where I come from. Um, but I don't know. The term African fashion is for me what... Um, pigeonholes us, I think. Yes. That's, it's not that I am not proud of who I am, because everything that I am is where I'm from. That's a big part of my identity, right? Okay. So I'm very proud of that. And I get you. But, but African fashion, I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting, I don't know. I don't know how yeah. I feel about that. Okay. Um,
3: so, I, I so sorry, Wait, no, was OK,
4: I was sorry, I was just going to say, well, I think that um, maybe we should prove that African fashion is brilliant, Do you know what I mean? Instead of no, feeling like you are
3: doing that already. You're doing, yeah. oh, really? and so so, so think, And and so what I was trying to say essentially <laughs> was this. Like I said, fashion and creativity and designing is mm-hmm. about telling stories from your own unique perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And I said what I discovered in Nigeria was a post-colonial um, ecosystem of, of fashion and style that was being created. That's in Nigeria. We have Yoruba, Igbo, 500, 500 other subcultures influencing different designers and their stories and also the, the post-colonial idea, um, ideologies. In the same way that the South Africans, because I have South African designer friends, Rich Minisi, Tebe Magugu, they have their own context based on their history as well that has been intermingled with colonialism. So. To say Africa as a blanket is not—it's it, not right or wrong. Um, I would say it is nuanced because Africa as a blanket is what they have used to group black people from so the continent for so long. But we're not the same because West Africa is different from East Africa, from North, from South, from, from Central. And within those five different bits, there's countries. Africa has fifty-something countries, no? Yeah, 54. fifty-four. Fifty-four countries. Because they added or subtracted one, that wasn't Mauritius, one of them, but it's 50, something countries share, and so you can't say African designers. What does that mean? Exactly. Because there's not one central culture.
0: Might I remind you that this show now goes to lots of African countries, so <laughs> no, let's not miss one
2: out. It provides no, 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 54. fifty-five,
3: fifty-five, fifty-four. Don't cancel. I, I don't, don't want to be cancelled. Fifty-four, 50, 56 for goodwill. You know, yeah, Just, yeah, you know, but but but, but essentially. I understand what you're trying to say. It's not, it was fine before because yes, we had something to prove, but now the truth of the matter is we better start owning our narratives individually, country by country, person person by 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 person. person. Um, before they start doing it for us because it's already started happening. Yeah, It's already started happening. By,
2: by the time African fashion, they just assume we're all monolithic. The African no. people we're all the same we're by the, the same way. Language. And, and, and I think that's where my questioning
0: came in um, because I think there's something to be said. And again, the article was quite provoking for me. Hence, I threw it out to you guys um, because the definition of what could be considered African fashion strips away and in, in my view the nuances and the talent of each designer and and i do think that as an opener given the global landscape and i do this in, in in my business with malay i am an african luxury brand and that is my narrative and i own it in the same way Unkos spoken about owning it and the reason why i own it is because it, it carries a weight You know, I I almost bash through the door. I have the weight of the continent on me and what, you know? Um, It's a calling card. But then beyond that, I think for me, the goal is then meritocracy. And then judge me based on my brand. Judge me based on the quality of my work. Can I stand next to a brand from wherever it may be? And can we be on the shelves, on the railings together? Mm. And that leads me to the next question around building a brand and what that actually means. Because, you know, again, Lisa was the first one of us to do collaboration, L'Oreal. Do you, does anyone remember that? Do you remember I, that? I remember,
2: ha! We launched Italy in uh, L'Oreal. Was it
0: L'Oreal. No, it was, she did L'Oreal. L'Oreal. Uh, wait, let me just check. Check, I cannot. This is L'Oreal, Blackberry. Do you remember Blackberries? So I'm getting chills as I'm saying it because honestly, I I remember the moments. And I think when people look at Malay and my brand, and I get these accolades going, you've been here, you've been in Harvey Nichols, you've been in all these places. But then I I realized that we have a culture globally, and even amongst ourselves, it's almost one at a time. While we are building brands simultaneously, it almost feels like it's one at a time, regardless of the industry. I think in the last three years, we've seen a huge change. Before, it was one at a time. It didn't matter where. And speaking of brands, each of you have built brands your brand, Arietta has built many brands, many, many, <laughs> many, many, River Island, to, uh, I can't, I, you, can, you, can listen, you can listen to um, her, her episode where it's one on one, and you get to dive into all of the work that she's done. And a lot of the high street consumer fashion, that we had where we saw black celebrities Arietta wasn't too far from from those deals but speaking of building a brand where is the difference for you guys between brand and money because i remember when i um approached lisa for the first time and i said to her hey i would love to have you on the show And we had a brief conversation and we segued into um, let's talk about money because oftentimes there's this idea that when you have a creative pursuit, there's never any money. Um, And Lisa's line was, but money is oxygen, do you remember that? Ah, you were very astute. Literally it was, it was literally, I was like gong, she's coming on the show. I think if we can speak openly about money, because I think oftentimes for for all of us on this stage, someone's seen an article, someone's seen a picture of in their mind what they believe success is um, from an article they've read, a post on social. And there's this assumption that either you're a struggling artist or somehow you've had a leg up. And for each of us, we will appreciate the position of privilege we start at, but that doesn't take away from the work that goes into the transition between having a concept, turning it into a brand, and then the value that gives back. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if Denela you want to start from a personal perspective because you've managed to build a personal brand in Um, the industry
3: well it wasn't intentional and i'm sorry i'm just kidding no um i everything i'm doing right now i never thought i would do or be doing um i went to university to study media business um i don't i didn't exactly know what that meant when i chose that major i just wanted to graduate on time because there was a clock they were going to cut me off at 21 so i was like finish school and leave um but i I never thought I, w- I would be doing what I'm doing right now. So none of it has been intentional, mm. but I've been intentional about working hard and working smart. I always joke with my friends, show pony, not a workhorse, <laughs> but that's because you work smart. You know, I don't want to be like toiling the fields and getting scraps and I can like be fabulous and work smart and hard and, you know, still make the coins, but um, I think, um, the major thing that's come up for me a lot in my life um, i've only been able to articulate it only this year is that um, trying to fit in is never is never an option and attachment is something that all human beings need to like learn
0: well why at for it we're, not, we're wired for attachment was that
3: right but then i realized something though the people that stand out the most the people that are the most successful the ones that bet on themselves they choose authenticity over attachment every time every single time they may have to get to the edge where they're about to lose everything where they realize that this conformity isn't working but they end up choosing that inner voice like that the individual spark that we all have and following that into whatever they do and that's what it's been, I remember like I had only one nine to five job in my entire life. I had just finished working at Alara and, um, I started working with this tech startup that, um, no shade, but it just, it didn't take off. Um, it was, there to be a fashion e-commerce brand and I was meant to be doing some work for them. Um, and I just realized I just wasn't in it. I was there for all of like two and a half weeks where I, I physically got ill. And, um, the guy, like not like, let less I worked my ass off, okay? And I did, but I'm saying like I was working, I was working, I was working, I, because my parents stopped giving me money once I moved back to Nigeria. And I was like, mado, I need to figure this out. I was surviving on nineteen eight a month, 19,800 a month, that's NYSC, And then I was also getting one small salary from where I was working as well. And that was also taxed and pensioned. So basically like by take home, I could spend it on a Friday nights buying three cocktails. And maybe some chicken public on saturday so i've been i've been i've been there <laughs> so but he, i remember him telling me he come to his office he's like i need to fire you you can't work here you're meant to be doing something more um and that's when i started dinnerlegate.com because i was like i don't have a job right now everyone is asking me what i'm doing i'm still doing NYSC. let me just put all my outfits on one website and so shoot a short film and just so everybody can, can just shut up and look at the websites. And that's how that's how my career started.
0: Yeah. But, but how does that then turn into a sustainable income? And Arietta, I'll end with you because I think with your experience, um, how do you set brand growth, growth goals? This, this is your, this is your party now.
2: I mean, it's, it's very different individual, I think the landscape anyway and the opportunities for brands have changed. They've opened up enormously. One day you can wake up your, I don't know, D Grey. Tomorrow you'll be like danolagrey.com because it's possible. It's possible, you know, I think with brands you, you, being authentic and trying to run your own race and building in your own time. It's what is key, really. That is key. You can't look at the next man's brand and think this guy's the only launch the other day, blah, blah, blah. I've been guilty of doing that in my personal life, Mm -hmm. even working for brands thinking, how did this brand scale up so fast? The reality of it, if you don't build those bricks properly, you will fall. Mm -hmm. I've seen so many, there's so many high street fashion brands, so many fashion brands that were scheduled during Long on Fashion Week. When I look from 10 years ago versus five years ago versus two years ago, they've come and gone because they had shaky foundations and they were not authentic, trying to do the next best thing. In order for you to stand out, the word brand, it's very much tied to authenticity in who you are basically, and I think yeah consistency, consistency. yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think there's there's a there's an underestimation of the time it takes um and an overestimation of what the financial reward is for a very long time um, i I learned um everyone knows aTMs um and I learned that it took 30 years for an ATM to become popular. Now, one day it wasn't there and one day it was everywhere. Um, In the same way, everyone knows that it was 19 years for Amazon. Um, But I think speaking of focusing on authenticity and your journey, I think UNKWA has been able to take something specific. And, And oftentimes one would wonder why go in and invest in empowering? Because I think we all have in our businesses a vision of empowering on the continent, a vision of creating meritocracy and more opportunity for people who don't have the same privileges as us. And before you answer, um, I, I, I wanna add that while you have championed sustainability in the buzzword. That level of authenticity has earned you um, to be one of 10 women across the globe who are going to be featured um, based on the Fashion Impact Fund. And your face and your work is going to be on billboards in New York. Woo! the NASDAQ billboard in Times Square. Ah, it has, can, so all you need to do is Google Times Square and it'll be on there. So, Unko has rock, sta- rock star status. In fact, she's launched platinum single. Because to be in Times Square ain't a joke. Um, and, and speaking of authenticity and, and, and brand building, for Elo. Ah. (laughs) Speaking of authenticity and and, and brand building and, and getting a recognition of that, because I think it's so easy to be swayed in the early days to do what someone else is doing that seems to be working. And you've consciously chosen to navigate this with a with a different perspective, and has bu- and you've built something that now is almost the benchmark. How how do you arrive there from your early concept?
4: Well, okay. So um, I think really the the single word I would use is authenticity, because. I've been doing this for so long. Uh, the very first time I showed a collection was in 2007 at the Victorian Albert Museum. Um, there was the, what was it called? Culture to Couture, remember? Yes, yeah, I met you. Yeah. yeah, that's what, no,
2: not Colin. Culture with Hilary Alexander, um,
4: Culture to Couture. Yeah, Culture to Couture, and I won. But um, at the time, you know, like I was saying this thing about confidence. I, I You know, I was like, okay, so I want it. But I just, I didn't believe in what I was doing. And so my eyes started going to what everybody else was doing. And that's why I went into Ankara and, you know, just things that weren't me. And at the time my label wasn't, I mean, people knew it, but it was just there. It wasn't special. It wasn't anything. And so, um, I decided to, you know, just step off and take time to really do what I wanted to do. Because I had um, the the very first Arise, that big Arise that was in South Africa. Yeah. I, I, 2009? No, it was, two, it, it was 2009. 2009. It was 2009. So I put together some funny, I don't know what I was doing there. And um, the, after the show, I was miserable because I know that's not what really I wanted to do. And one of the organizers, uh, what's her name, Lorato, I think, or something. Anyway, Loretto. Yeah. I think she called, she's, she's called me. She's like, why are you looking so sad? I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I did. And she's like, yep, that, that wasn't you. Why did you do it? That, why didn't you do what we know you for? Why we invited you here? And um, so I, I was really, I was sort of dep- depressed. I was really sad for a long time because I, I felt like I was lost. And so I stepped off and just went back into myself. I was like, this is what I really want to do. This is, um, I had Stella McCartney to look at. I had Viv- Vivian Westwood, because they were all sustainable then. And there wasn't anybody in Africa doing it. And so I thought, well, this is where I, this is where I feel at home, so I'm going to do well, it. Well, to be
0: fair, Down Boutique is sustainable no
4: yeah yeah but okay so nobody was doing we'll
0: intentionally
4: yeah. i I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I was i it was, was, teasing. So right. I oh, was yeah. teasing i was teasing i was teasing so i remember the first i did this denim head wrap thing mm-hmm. and i showed it at lagos fashion Week 2015. and i'm usually very shy so normally i just come out and wave and run away but this was really new and i wanted to see the reaction so i came out and i walked all, all the way around and some of the people were like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And then that thing I called the Lagos face, that ah, was this, you know, people are like, what is yeah. But But I, I didn't let it disturb. I'm like, well, I don't care. This is what I'm doing. And I love it. Um, and then a few, le- a few years later, I got to represent Nigeria at Buckingham Palace yeah, through this Buckingham. whole sustainable fashion thing. and. Um, no, 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 before then, I was actually at Buckingham Palace, yeah, and I, um, then there was Clarence House, and then, you know, it's gone on and on, and um, and as it's, it's uh, developed, it's sort of grown um, branches, and it's like, I feel like I really have to give something back, it can't just be about me, and so um, I see success as being able to take care of other people who are in your community, you know, like, if you take care of everyone in your small circle, and then they can take care of everyone in their small circle, and eventually, you know, it all joins something together.
0: Circular about yeah. It, yeah, yeah.
4: And so, um, so, and I think also the world and Africa was just ready for this um, at the time. And
2: so yeah, so that's. I how. think she's failing to mention she created oh, oh a fabric. She created a whole
3: textile.
2: I'm coming so,
3: now. Like, really, like, I'm in your life, like you're the best type. I of st- you told you it. the one like, who puts I you on. On. <laughs> um,
0: so I, w- we're set to have the fastest growing youth population. And Lisa, you you've you've done. I, I would say what most people would advise anyone starting a business to do. Create a business, build a brand, then appeal to the masses. You've done diffusion lines. Now, I want to talk about scale. Because even in the beauty industry, that's very much about economies of scale for me. In the early days, one of the questions I would get when I would try and pitch for big businesses, can you deliver? And oftentimes, beyond the quality discussion, once once you've shut down, oh, this is quality, this is worth the price tag I've put on it, the next barrier is, can you give us X number of units? Can you meet our minimum order quantities? And often, people don't understand how or what to do about scale, and I would love to As someone who has tried scaling in multiple ways and reigned back, what have been your biggest lessons about scale? Hmm. (laughs) Um,
1: What would I say now? For me, um, when you, you know, there's a saying that goes, do not despise humble beginnings. And I've been doing this for many years. And soon after... I started the brand. I realized that if I wanted to keep this brand going, I had to make money. I, I'm not, I don't. I call myself the design person, the design girl, and then I have the money girl in my brand because money is not my thing. I would give up my clothes for free if I could. Um, but then you want to, you realize that you have a team of people working with you, you have um, other people working, you have people being sustained by the business, their families and communities, as you talked about. And then you just have to think, how can we make this something? Like, yeah, how can we make this work, money-wise? And so for me, this is why and how, um, as much as I am a creative and I stay in that space, all the time, um, I have I've, I've learned to balance, but not jeopardizing my design integrity. But and I have to balance making money. And so, like you mentioned, collaborations that we've done, we we um, have had diffusion lines, which we haven't even done in a while. We've only had two diffusion collections, um, the J label. And Pretty Precious and Pretty Precious. That was for a bit. Um, we haven't continued. Oh my God, that's been a long time. <laughs> uh-uh. um, yes, but the truth is, we do everything um, to keep the brand going, to um, not just keep the brand going, but to make profits yeah. and and to grow, and that's and that's where we're at. and um, And you know. Like you said, you know, with Nigeria and the the issues we've had with our production and the numbers that have been asked of us, there have been times where I could not deliver, you know? And that's why I talked about not despising humble beginnings because there were many opportunities that came but I could not take. But because we stayed consistent and I think that I have stayed authentic to my brand aesthetic, I think that um, I continue to create um, what People that I my my consumer desires. Um, I think that we've been able to make a headway, and we've been able now now after 17 years doing this. I say 16, 17 years. We are we're in a good place.
0: We're in a amazing. great place. It. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. Financially. Right. Um, they they say innovate or die. Mm-hmm. Um and. Arietta gave spoiler already, (laughs) because Oonkwa has done the ultimate innovation. I don't think um, it's been recorded in the history when last someone created a new fabric. But you've managed to do that. Now if we think of the options of fabric and someone actually creating something proprietary like that. My next question is then, how do you think of scale as someone who has created something that has potential for enormous scale? And how do you protect that? Because there's often the conversation about um, proprietary ownership Mm. with your designs being stolen by big fashion houses. That happens often. Now, moving into a space where you've got a fabric, So this is now even beyond a design. How do you think of scale and how do you protect it?
4: Okay, so um, just to let everybody know, I invented a fabric called Dakala cloth, which is, it really came about as a way to um, use textile waste reduction as a means of um, preserving our traditional craft skills. Because in Nigeria, we have two big problems. We don't have adequate waste management systems. And on the other hand, we have a lot of um, artisans who are the last in the line of craft. And I feel like these are two problems we have. Why don't we just pull them together and find a solution? Um, And so I came up with this fabric, which initially started um, uh, the technique was stripping and sewing bits of denim in a particular way. And when it was finished, it looked like woven, looks like ashoké actually. And my husband was like, you know you need to name this thing. And so I I started looking for a name. Um, so I researched, I did a lot of research on ashoké and the looms and everything. And I finally got to an article um, that talks about the sound of the loom, which goes sakalasi, sakalasa. And I liked that sakala, so I was like, ooh, maybe we should call it sakala cloth. And then it sounds like sackcloth. Mm-hmm. So I took the L, the D from denim and replaced it with the an S, and I got the oh, nice. No, and so it actually sounds like something that has been there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so that was one thing, so scaling up, Um, I started to add new dimensions to the fabric. So we've got dakala strings, which is um, where we strip, um, stitch, turn the fabric into yarn, braid it, and you know, do all sorts of wonderful things with it. And then we have dakala web, which is where we actually are now weaving it on looms. Um, And so that's a way to scale, because we we started training women um, on how to make this cloth. Uh, So that's how we're going to scale it up. Now, in terms of copying and somebody, I had a big thing um, a while ago, somebody just lifted, you know, just lift your thing and give you no credit. And this isn't a big uh, international company, it's somebody in Nigeria doing it. So we had a bit of a thing. Um, and, And so when I was doing my research and I was talking to lawyers, Getting a patent is extremely expensive, and you you need an international patent because I can patent it in Nigeria and somebody else takes it. so there is something which is um, called access over ownership, where you share what you have um, invented, and that way other people have access to it, not just you you can scale up um, and so it's about learning not to be so like, oh, it's mine, I did it. You know, you can, if you have a child and you hold it so tight, you smother it and it dies. So there is something about, to be said about sharing. And then when you share and it's out there, nobody else can patent it because it's already out there. You can't patent anything that's already there. So um, this is our way of dealing with that problem because I, I can't even police it because I don't know if you've done it, but I spent like hours, oh, this person copied it, and, and, and and you spend all your time getting twisted yeah. where you could be doing other things, you know? So I've learned that lesson, and with this, it, for me, it's something that can help the rest of the world, not just me, and so...
3: That's amazing. I'm sharing right. it. Yeah. That's actually really me. amazing. Thank you. Uh,
0: sort of doing a hard left... <laughs> to you, Denola. Um, We've spoken about Lisa's collaborations, Um, Listen to Arietta's previous episode on the podcast um, in season two, I believe. And um, you'll hear more about the collaborations that Arietta has been a part of. But I guess this is to both of you, actually. Um, Denola, I'll start with you. You're now a tool for brands to showcase their work. But I wonder as a when you wear your strategist and consulting hat, and now you have the benefit of both parts of the equation, why would you say brands need collaboration? Lisa shared about, you know, the financial benefits, but from your perspective?
3: I mean, I wouldn't say anyone needs a collaboration. I, I think um, it's just based on your strategy for the year or like having a clear picture of where your business is at. Um, Sometimes the designer may just be having a non-creative year and just maybe wants a fresh perspective Um, or they want to just do something different for a change or just kind of see how far they can push their creativity Um, because no no man is an island, you know, even designers are influenced by their lives and the things they experience and the the way they see the world um so i've noticed that the the collaborations that aren't born out of necessity or the ones that are born out of like genuine curiosity and appreciation for a different aesthetic and approach those are the ones that i am drawn to more so i don't think anybody needs a collaboration i think that it's um it just depends on the brand and and where they're at
0: arietta
2: from Putting my um, brand director hat on, most of the times it's just for reach, really. So if you I think about it, it it's I for reach. Too, yeah. How do I work with this person to get, con- to, get to their audience? audience yeah. How do I work with that person to get to their audience? There was a collaboration that's just been announced in the last week when a uh, global African superstar was tapped up by this makeup brand. And I was like, shit, yeah, about time. That yeah, was yeah. My, my thoughts exactly. Uh, because at the end of the day, like you said, no man's is an island, no brand is an island. Brands, the, it's, it's tough right now. It's tough right there trading. Everybody's having to pivot, chop, and change to see what works for them. But the main reason why brands are collaborating, especially you know the international, global brands that I work with now, is
3: reach. Yeah. Full stop. 100%. Yeah, that's actually true. 100%. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. While this episode is focused on fashion, so I'm going to sort of, focus on a part of, I guess, the fashion calendar. And you've all spoken about Lagos Fashion Week. um, But across the globe, there are several other big fashion events that happen. And I'm often, I'm not ignorant to the fact that it costs to show at a fashion week. It costs to create a collection that starts a conversation but might not be something you can retail. And when you are in the early stages of your brand, which, to be fair, all of us are, right? If we're 50 years in, then we're long in the tooth, but we're not. Um, we, African designers, don't often get to participate like the other designers do. and. My question here, as plainly as it's written is, are Fashion Weeks necessary for African brands?
1: I think so. Um, I think for me, I have, I I continue to share with Lagos Fashion Week and um, that platform as well as Arise has um, really um, helped my brand. I think that, We talked about reach. We talked about visibility. I think especially recently with Lagos Fashion Week and um, having buyers, international buyers coming and and um, publications. Exactly. I think that that really, truly has um, had a positive effect on my brand. And so for sure. And I think that it's also reaching audiences. It's also um, having people see what you've been working on. All year round, you know um, it's definitely very important to have a platform where people are able to see your collection, whether on the runway or presenting it. But I think that for me it, it's vital actually for any designer to have a platform where your clothes are seen. And um, with regards to international runways, I I'm happy to show in Nigeria. I love it. I mean if I have the opportunity I've been I've had my pieces in showrooms in other parts of the world. Um, and if I have the opportunity to show elsewhere, also again, the aim is reach and visibility for my brand. And um, yeah, of course I'll take the opportunity. So I think it is it is quite vital yeah. as a brand to have that uh, platform.
3: I think just it was like like um, legitimizing it in this own way, like the Nigerian fashion industry has grown exponentially over the past 13, 14, 15 years, I moved back to Nigeria in 2013, that's what, nine years ago. And even from that first fashion week I spoke about then till now, it's so, it's so much bigger. And the, um, the two designers on this panel right now actually have the biggest nights. Everyone's always clamoring to see what they're showing. And even just seeing that excitement, like, oh, I see seen Kuo. no, I see Lisa, like rushing, mm-hmm. you know? you get that same vibe when somebody's in new york trying to like see whoever is showing or in paris trying to see givenchy like seeing that just be like hustling to get into a show to see this designer is something i've witnessed and i'm like that's actually amazing and yeah Lagos fashion week has actually helped me as well like i'm as um it became a way for me to basically be a peacock like show off like my own interpretation of um, how I'm being influenced by by, by the fashion and the designers. I make sure I wear the brands that I'm supporting that day, be it I'm in the or in culture um, robes, like just different brands. Um, and I think there's something to be said of, you know, the the publications are there, you know, the the buyers are there. But for me, it's because I'm I'm an actor and I'm a fashion consultant, like it was the publications, not on purpose. I I was literally just doing showing up because like I'm. I love this thing, and also you will get a look. Like you need to get into this look, you know. Um, but those things will not end up on Vogue, and people are like, oh my God, there's a lot of street style in Nigeria. It gets people more interested, so it feeds back into um, the the uh, um, legitimized structure of Fashion Week right now with LFW. Basically, makes it a it, it makes it structured in a way like, oh, this is a real thing that's happening there. Yeah. You
2: know. I, I think it's great if especially if designers definitely show in their home countries but where I don't think is necessary anymore is everyone clamoring to show at London or everyone clamoring to show at New York let mm. me tell you those days are long gone yeah <laughs> what it yeah. is then that time we were trying to be everything now the world is coming to Africa if you want to see Lisa's show I you go to Lagos Fashion Week or tune into our Instagram channel. I was going to say show. technology as well. Technology, right. yeah. made it yeah. possible. especially through lockdown as well. because yeah. a lot of people did virtual yeah. shows. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So
3: people now have a bit more creative control on yeah. what they do. Yeah. Um, I think even LHW they recalibrated um, during that period as well and decided doing um, smaller, digital, yeah. smaller shows yeah. like yeah. before the main one in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that if yeah. you
2: were, uh, you know, an African a brand based in (laughs) Africa and you're trying to show your stuff internationally, the best you can do is showroom, get yourself into a Mm -hmm. good showroom. Mm -hmm. Because if you spend all that money trying to do a show, your show don't get written about because nobody (laughs) knows you.
1: Even the showrooms are expensive, uh, aren't they? They, they are, are, but, so least, expensive, but yeah. I mean, but, know, people
2: will go in often.
1: I know, but mm-hmm. then thank
2: God, like I said, thank God for
1: technology and social media and your yeah. Instagram and your this and that, you know, it's created a platform as well where you yeah. can be visible to the rest of the world if that is what you want to Yeah, be. yeah. honestly,
2: I like yeah. just watch it online right? now. I also,
3: I also think, Your, your live show yeah. was live streamed. Yeah. Was, they sat like right beside me. I was, from, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah
4: <laughs> I was going to say, I also think the best fashion in the world now is, from Lagos. I agree. Amen. I agree, right? So everybody's Amen. coming to us. We don't now need to go out
0: anywhere if we don't want yeah. to. Y- yeah, you guys absolutely. are doing my work for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, because um, I-, I wanted to, to sort of jump into, Arietta mentioned big beauty deals are happening. Um, we're seeing fashion designers being picked up by mainstream retailers. And not having to work as hard as you had to 10 years ago, um, there's now an interest. So the platform's already set. Um, and I guess my question really is, should the fashion world be betting on Africa, African designers, African fashion? It's not for me to answer.
1: I mean, like, <laughs> okay, that's so, a
3: weird one. Oh, thing. sorry.
0: Wait, I mean, when you say, OK,
4: or maybe it's I'm hearing it it's in, not the a way bit. in my head. No, I don't think it's, it's a, a show bit. banker. Think, yeah, absolutely, because we are producing um, like and I don't even like you know. It makes me so excited. There's you endless know? possibilities, yeah. and there's so much there's so that much. is still untapped, yeah, and there's so much talent. And, yeah, so much there's so much 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 culture. Talent. Yeah, so much there's history. story you know? everything.
0: So, um, so if, if if I had a great idea, how do I get funded? How, 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 do I, how, do I, how do I keep it going? And Arietta, and, and I think th- this is one for you because you've, you've worked behind the scenes in big businesses. And what often do you see as some of the factors, not all, that causes these businesses to fail? Because for anyone starting out, we have a huge fear of failure even myself included. And I think everyone here on this stage at some point confronts the demon of failure. And then there's the desperation that comes with it. Yeah. What are the factors you've seen over the years that have caused brands to fail?
2: So business, as you know, is a pool of risks. Full stop. So when you get brands, most of the big brands I've worked with, the main thing that causes them to fail is trying to pivot quickly, trying to, you know, you've tried something for a while. When's the next best thing? Let's quickly drop the next best thing because if we don't drop it now, the customer not going to be there. They end up trying to do something that kind of takes you away from your original aesthetic, original idea, just to keep that going. I mean, even in my own personal life, I'll be chopping and changing all the way because that's how I, I live. I, I,
0: you don't want to know what I wrote about you
2: <laughs> okay? <laughs> when it comes to the chopping
0: and changing. I'm chopping and
2: changing. Yeah. And I guess this, that's how my mind works. But I think with this, this brands, what we see the most is trying to change too quickly and assume that everyone's just going to follow suit. No. So that's one of the main things that happens in, in, in the big business I've worked in trying to change too quickly or just or just coming at something left field something you're not known for and taking a punt and your punt kind of falls short, yeah. short really so yeah. those are the two main things
0: thank you um, I think you know there's something to be said about the science of business um, we mentioned technology earlier and the benefits of technology now is we don't have to guess you know the there's enough data. I think it's 1.64 terabytes of data on each consumer is processed by these large companies. So if you think of how much space you have on your laptop, all the pictures, all the emails, all the videos, and they're processing 1.64 terabytes of data on each of us, you realize that their success now isn't purely based on chance but it's actually data backed. And so then the, 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 prob- the probability of you succeeding is higher because yeah. you understand your customer so much more. And it's less about, it, less about having the egotistical, here is my great design, but whereas it's more of creating a solution for the customer that you want to serve. We talked about digital e-commerce, there is something incredible happening on the continent. And it seems few people are getting to participate and a large portion aren't. Not everyone can get to Lagos Fashion Week because of the traffic. Not everyone can get to Joburg Fashion Week because of the cost. Africa has the highest rate of people d- tuning in onto something smart. They're $50 smartphones developed for the market, and it's doing something. You have 600,000 followers, Dinola, across more, but less approximate, under, not over. That's a lot of people tuning in.
3: Yep. <laughs> yeah um like I said had no intention of that ever being a thing but yeah, yeah
0: kind of... but there's something to be said about what space we have for e-commerce in the industry yeah. you know in, in in China and Asia we're seeing live uh, shopping events yeah. and we've seen a few African designers um, challenge what the digital space can do with their collections, et cetera. I don't know who wants to take this one and who feels. So
3: I, I, I mean, I, I'm not really in the business of fashion, but I realized something. And um, I've actually had a couple of people come to talk to me about setting up an e-commerce website that, house, that houses like a lot of Nigerian brands or African brands so they could sell it to the world. And it's the same issue. It's Production, like there's not enough capacity, logistics. logistics, and 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 also another part that is largely overlooked that you know, people maybe don't want to talk about it because it bumps people out, but it's true is, majority of the continent as a whole, not just the country, is living below the poverty line, so that's changing
4: though. It is changing, it's yes. Vast. But the
3: thing is, it's changing, but but. But but think about it, like when you have a certain income and I'm even talking, just if, let's even take it to Nigeria because I did a capsule co- um, collaboration with um, Orange Culture in 2020 during the lockdown. And it was very important for me that my followers be able to buy it. And I looked at my demographics and I had a high number of followers between 18 to 34. Um, these are people that are home right now during the lockdown. They're not earning a lot of money. Some of them, their schools are on strike how are they going to be able to afford this shirt that because of the the scaling we could only produce it for about like 10k and of of course they had to make their money back and a little bit of profit i ended up not taking a dime Mm. from that collection because it was i they needed to break even Mm. but i needed my followers to to be able to afford it Mm. and that is I'm not saying it costs across all countries cause I don't have the data, but I would imagine that that's kind of, I, you know, I, I think there is the, issue,
2: the, the poverty issue, but 10 out of the top 15 fastest growing economies are in Africa. Yeah. So there is that. I think the logistical issue for me is more of a problem. When it, as it is, it's easier for Lisa to get her stuff to me in the UK than to get her stuff to Ghana. Yeah. It's crazy. It's logistic, that, that is the biggest part. They don't ship.
3: In, they don't ship
2: no, but even stuff. within Nigeria, um, yeah. like people in Lagos, how do you get stuff to, to, the, north. to the north? So I, I think there's some
0: pan African inter regulatory issues that I think governments are aware of. Um, and I think it's a conscious thought as we start to focus on this pan Africanism that's a wave happening because we're growing as a population so fast that we have to figure out how we serve our, our communities. Because yes. if, if we think of surviving post-pandemic, um, all of us here had to evolve during the pandemic. Unkwa, your, your pandemic experience was probably the complete opposite to a lot of us because your brand in the pandemic went berserk. And it hasn't stopped
4: since. Oh. Somehow I don't know something oh sorry, um, yeah, it hasn't stopped some- something happened, I don't know what it is, and it just blew, so I went from I think during the pandemic, I had about six staff, six, maybe now I've got nineteen, wow. and we still need more. I don't have enough staff, like yeah, we it's a small company, but um. Yeah, we, we, we can't keep up and um, we need more stuff, but it's also a problem because of the instability. So, you, you know, when you want to sort of go grow that way, you're not really sure how. Um, is
3: it in Ni- like in Nigeria?
4: Yeah, because I'm in Abuja, yeah, in Abuja which okay. is, you know, so every time we get these stories of insurgencies and they don't, they've never really come in, yeah. but it's, it's the, f- sometimes you're like, you want to take a step further, but you're not quite sure, political, really, yeah.
1: as a brand, it's, it's yeah. sort of knowing your capacity and knowing what, for example, my brand, I, I mean, the things that I resented, which was what, you know, now I appreciate is the fact that we practice slow fashion. That's what mm-hmm. we do, because mm-hmm. a lot of our work is handwork, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of that craftsmanship, artisanal work. And so, you know, I have accepted the fact and, you know, I'm able now you know, I have the advantage of calling those shots. So when I mm-hmm. have the buyers who are interested in the brand and I tell mm-hmm. them, this is so all can I can do. This is all I can do within this time. You Take it or leave it. You know what I'm saying? Because that is all we can do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, you know, you talked about, you know, e-commerce. And for us, we've dabbled. However, also because we know our capacity at any point in time, we work with that. Yeah.
0: I always do quick fire questions when I'm nearing the end of episode, of an episode. So I'm just gonna go in and um, quick fire. I'll throw one each way. Um, Biggest misconception people have about your job, Arietta. That is easy. Everyone can do it.
2: Everyone's PR. Everyone can sell a press release. Everyone can seed. Coverage. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Do it, Uh, (laughs) uncle. Uncle, what's
0: your favorite thing about what you do? What I do. Yeah, that's
4: the favorite thing. Is what I do. I just love it. Yeah.
0: Amazing, Uh, Lisa. Who influenced you? Oh wow, who influenced me? (laughs) Who? Um,
1: I want to give this one to my mother. Yeah. I would say that she perhaps gave me the courage, which I spoke about earlier, and um, perhaps my love for print and for color, and just always looking as good as I can possibly look.
3: Always. Yeah. Well oh, Always. Try. <laughs> <laughs> always in a look. On uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, oh Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Danala one for you. What do you wish you knew or what do you wish you you knew now? Or what what would you, you know, the, you know, the question. What I wish I I knew then
3: that I know now Uh that it was actually just okay to be myself from the jump. Like I was enough. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, I had a a big ask for this, uh, uh, episode, which was how do you make it in fashion?
1: You may make it in fashion, who um, for me, it's, you know, being authentic, um, having a brand aesthetic that you stay true to, um, knowing who you're designing for, if you're a designer um, and um, can I say knowing the demographic you're designing for, I think um, knowing that you are in it for the long haul. Um, It's not a hobby. You know, there are people. Well, if you have a big team, if you have people working for you, you need to have people working for you to, you know, to grow your brand and um, being responsible for them. And so um, doing what it takes to make sure that your business is successful financially. Um, what else? Ah, there's a lot. Money people, is oxygen. It, it, I would never is, forget It is oxygen, it. but then to never. get the money, you know, the creativity is key, right? You know, people love what you do, and that's how you make the money, right? So, yeah, um, and you said evolving. Yeah. Very true. Evolving, but still staying true to that aesthetic and let people, and, and people knowing you for that, you know? And I, there's a lot more, but can't think right now.
4: How you can make it in fashion is to be organic, let your growth be organic. So then, when you make mistakes, they're not so expensive. Mm. So that's what I would add. Yeah.
1: Love that.
2: that's good. Arietta, pausing for thought. I mean, it's a tricky one because I'm still trying to make it. I'm mm-hmm. um, all still trying to make it. But I would just say, with anything, I think hard work and consistency has to pay off. Yeah. It has to pay off so my advice would be just keep your eye on the price keep working hard work smart not too too hard okay
0: don't be toiling the fields
2: no show, because, show because pony, it's baby. different it's yes. different you, you can be a show pony not a workhorse or yes. somewhere in between somewhere in between <laughs> but just you know stick to the vision a commitment commitment yeah. you know yeah. Get some data
0: behind you, man.
2: Oh, I should say about the data because get some behind 150%, you. 150 percent. Everything, you know. Everything. Every advert you look at on your phone. There's a reason why when you move to another website, that advert is it's following popping you. up. Yeah, it's all this stuff. Get the data. Get to understand the target demographic you're after. What they want, what they need, what they love. Yeah, and just go with it. G-
0: Google is your friend.
3: Google is your Google friend. Is your Google friend. anything. Um, or ask Siri to do it for you. you yeah, know? just Google. Ask who? Siri. Siri. How hey many Siri, customers want
2: to buy Ankara
0: Jeeves. this year? Exactly. There'll be a report that it's comes like,
2: up. Do you see this generation thing? It's like, ask Siri. I'm like, ask <laughs> Jeeves. Like, ask Jeeves. <laughs> no, you're uh, and I are like, like them. They
3: get on phone, hey, Siri. And she's like, what's up? I mean, I was I like,
1: oh, was cool. Someone said to me when I started designing never to say no. So when opportunities come, just take them oh. until you can say no, and mm. you will know when you can I was say about, no, okay. and that's it. Until I was, until you I was can about say, to say that, yeah. that. Actually, you can say you no. can no. say no I when like you, you when, when. No, you should, but I think you will know when to, to do say so. Exactly. I think when you start off, I think that it's important to take as many challenges as you can. It's important to do the collaborations. It's important to just take the opportunity. I think that's what we did, and then, you know, it helps with brand visibility as well. But then also staying true to to your aesthetic and and the brand ethos.
2: And be polite, and don't be afraid to ask for help if you need. But you've got to be polite. And share.
3: Yeah.
0: Very important. Share. That's yeah. It's good to talk. Anyone remember that ad? Talk, talk. It's talk, good talk,
3: to talk. talk. I actually learned something. Um, I was on a retreat um, in Oxford, like with Soho House, like re- it was called Retreating While Black. And um, during that, we had a financial well-being seminar. And um, one of the things I learned from that was really poignant that as black people generally across the board, we need to start talking to each other about money mm. and not hiding things from each other. Mm. So that way, um, people aren't being shortchanged, or they even find a better, more um, cost-effective way to do things as opposed to just hiding behind numbers and making those numbers bigger than our yeah. purpose. Um, so that's one thing I've definitely learned to start doing. Like Because in my line of work, um, I'm talking about the content creation, fashion influencer side of things, which is not my main bread and butter, but it's something that I happen to do. Um, it's I realized that one of the reasons why I started shopping between London and Lagos is that I was getting paid 10 times less than my counterparts in the world. And I'm working with multinational companies that are coming to Nigeria as well. I'm not gonna mention the names, but they were coming and then I'll be like, okay, I had this following, give me X amounts of money. And I think, think that it was big money, but I was shortchanging myself like, by at least like 10 times less. Um, and, and, and the other thing I'll add is there has to be um, an element of delusion in just believing, why not me? Like, I I, I do deserve these things. Mm-hmm. And then, and and you know, going after them, just, you know, being brave with that. And the final thing I would say is, also, um, I don't know if any of you felt this at the start of your careers, but like taking it seriously, because, you know, people that aren't creative, that are more logical, will try and tell you, oh, this is a hobby, or you mean you want to sew, you mean you want to take pictures, you mean you want to just, like, so how much are they paying you? It, I've, the number of times that, my dad will ask me that before, before he started saying that, oh, that, you know, his son is, you know, on billboards and it's on television. He was like, uh, okay, he, he will always ask, what are you doing in your life? And I'm like, I'm doing something. Don't worry. And he's seen it now. But You're
0: crazy until it works.
3: Until it works. And, they, and because, look, imagine a Yoruba father saying, I'm proud of you, and you know what, I was wrong.
2: Like, I, th- I think your generation have that all sorted yes. because they see it. Yeah, yeah. we all saw it. So. because everybody
3: went against I mean, the grain and, and they believed they could do it and they, and they took it seriously. Cause yeah. Even for me, up until maybe two years ago, I was like, I surely cannot be making a living off my Instagram. and just doing that. It, it's not sustainable. And I, I'm a firm believer in have something that makes you influential before you're an influencer, because mm-hmm. that thing that makes you influential is what's going to drive everything forward. Influencing social media is here to stay. But the way we use it as a marketing tool is going to evolve o- over time. Yeah. So if you make this your end-all be-all, you will fail and you will become poor. But if you have value attached to that afterwards, and you're not just like being cute, you know, taking pictures and being like, oh, choose by this and that, that. no, like you need, <laughs> but you also need in the time being while you can, take it seriously you know, and, and ask for what you're worth or say no when you don't want to and just be authentic.
0: Great. Um, I want to say thank you to each of you here with me today, to Denola, Lisa, Unkwo, Arietta. Um, this little African girl um, has just recorded her first ever live podcast Woo. at Soho House Woo. at Shoreditch House. Um It was born out of a realization that I'm having these conversations with my friends in private and we realized, or I realized, that these conversations needed to happen in the open. I also realized that the narrative, when told by someone else other than us, missed the nuances, missed the things that made us, us. And also, with time, no one was capturing our in-between, somewhere here, the beginning, the end, in whatever, whatever time span and cycle we are in. And so the podcast was born out of that. I want to say thank you to Soho House for giving us this opportunity to shoot in this amazing space um, and for also lending voices and seeing our continent as a place to help invest and foster more creative talent. I want to thank everyone in the audience today who's uh, come out, beat the rain, to come help make this possible. You can find each of the guests on social media, even facts, just Google. As Denola says, Hey Siri, where can I find Denola? And I'm sure an answer will come up. Um, it's been a pleasure.
3: I'm actually screaming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's been a pleasure having our first taped episode. Thank you for helping me make history. And to everyone. Thank you. Thank you.
2: It's brilliant.
0: Thank you. To everyone who's tuned in on Vodacom's um, live streaming platform for season three, thank you so much for um, making what was born in my bed, usually my best ideas happen in my bed, at my lowest points um, possible